St. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that formerly you were a slave to sin, but now you are slaves to God. You are set free from sin, but now you are to serve. Before you served sin, but now you are to serve God. You can't help but to serve. You will serve one or the other. Your work is no longer serving the devil, but your work is to serve God. And that service of God, it bears fruit and holiness, and it leads to an end, eternal life. Formerly slavery to sin, it didn't bear any fruit that was good, and it led to death. But now you serve as a slave of God, and the end of that service is life. That's a different metaphor than Matthew uses in chapter 25 when Jesus teaches the parable of the ten virgins. That metaphor is about weddings and virgins and a bridegroom and a wedding feast. But I think they are connected. They are connected because the point that Paul makes in Romans 6 when he talks about slavery is a point that we will also see with the ten virgins, and that, the, that, that is that there is no middle ground. You will be one or the other. You will be a slave to sin, or you will be a slave to God. You will be one or the other. You will be wise, or you will be foolish. There is no middle ground. At the final judgment, Christ will come, and he will judge you either righteous or unrighteous, there is no middle ground. And that is the great lie, I think, of our day today. The great lie of our age in the world we live in, and especially rampant in modern American churches, is that there is such a thing as middle ground. Many, many assume that they are faithfully Christian. Many assume that they are righteous before the Lord's eyes. And they may even come to church on Sunday morning or some Sunday mornings. And yet their life outside of that, their Monday through Saturday life, let's say, has no bearing on their life in Christ. Many assume to be faithfully a Christian but when they live their life, when they live out their service in life, they assume that, let's say, the news media that they watch, which is filled with stories of fear, has no bearing on their trust in the provision of the Lord. Or that the consumeristic social media that they consume has no bearing on their struggle against serving mammon. Or that the entertainment media that they consume has no bearing on their struggle against lust and other forms of pride. Many assume to be faithfully Christian, but also assume that the atheist and humanist education that they take in has no bearing on their faith at all. 
Many assume that if they go to the baptism, that if they go to the confirmation, that if they go to the funerals, that if they go on Christmas Eve and Easter and maybe Mother's Day for good measure, that all of those things will all just balance out in the end. And that they're comfortably in the middle ground, they're comfortably in the place where they're Christian on the one hand, but the rest of life they can kind of do what they want, but it'll all be okay when Christ comes again. But there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. And our acceptance of this, by the way, this is a minor point, not the main point of the sermon, but our acceptance of this middle ground, it is not just dangerous to our own souls, to those souls inside the church, which we're going to talk about with the ten virgins, but it is also dangerous to those outside the church, and it harms us in the church by not giving a good witness to those outside the church. Because when we accept that there is such a thing as a middle ground, which there is not, and we say on the one hand that we believe all this stuff in the Bible about how we should be slaves to God, how we should live our lives wholly to the Lord's service, and yet on the other hand we go out and we live lives somewhat contrary to that, what we look like to the world is a bunch of very unserious people. What we look like to the world is people who speak out of both sides of our mouth. There are lots of people today, especially, I think, young men, who want something in their lives that is serious, who want some kind of demands to be made of them that they can live by and that can help them to live a life with meaning and with seriousness and with substance and with authenticity. But when Christians say one thing and do another out in the world, it makes us look unserious. It makes us look not worthwhile. And so not only have we lost young men and other young people and even generations of people who are missing from the brown chair sitting next to you, two things like the fear of the news and the terrors of this world, two things like the consumerism of mammon, advertised to you in all sorts of media, two things like lust and the pursuing of carnal pleasures, and especially to atheistic and humanistic education, which teaches a story of the world contrary to the story of the Bible. Not only have we lost people to those things, but we have also lost young people simply to our unseriousness and lost them to places which might seem crazy to you, but places like Islam, which do teach, although a false religion, a serious religion that does not see a middle ground. You are either a follower of Islam or you are not. There is no middle ground. 
There was no middle ground for the ten virgins. We have the same type of scenario in Matthew 25 of either being a slave or not being a slave, but this time it is even more urgent. I speak to you with urgency today because the last day when Jesus will come again is a day of urgency. The virgins are sitting there on the last day. Now, to understand what Jesus is talking about in this parable, we have to do a little bit of matching work where we look at the parable and we look at what all the different things in the parable match up with. Because there are a lot of little factors in this parable that all match up with different things in Christ and his church. So first of all, we'll start with the virgins. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. The virgins are the church. The virgins are the pure ones. Ephesians 5 is clear that the church is the bride of Christ, the bridegroom. And as the bride of Christ, the bridegroom, the church is one. And yet it is composed of many members. And so, as one with many members, the way that Jesus pictures the bride of Christ in this parable is not just a singular bride, although that kind of makes more sense when we think about a wedding, a bride and a bridegroom. He instead talks about the bridal party. One unit, the bridal party, yet many members, the ten virgins. But they are pure. They are the ones who are washed clean. They are the ones who have come to faith in Christ at some point in their lives. They are the ones who are called the pure virgins. They are the ones who the bridegroom comes to gather to himself. This is the church. And of course the bridegroom then is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Our Lord who came to redeem his bride, washing his bride pure and clean and perfect in the waters of holy baptism. And so we have ten virgins and we have the bridegroom. And we also have here in this very first verse, the lamps. The ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet them. And what do the pure virgins have? What does the church have that allows us to go out and meet Christ? The lamps are our faith. John 1 puts it this way, in Christ was life and that life was the light of men. And the light came, and it shined in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We come to Jesus by faith. And when we have that faith, our lives are lit up. When we have the lamps of faith, we shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it, because that light is the light of Christ. Christ gives us his light, he lights our lamps, and then we are able to see him, we are able to come to him by our faith. Jesus also says in Matthew 5 that you are, just like he is, the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
This is the bride of Christ, a light of a lamp, not put under a basket that no one could see it, but it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men. Let your lamp shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The lamps burn with faith, and that faith shines out to others. That faith results in good works to others who see those works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But with those lamps, these virgins, some of them were foolish and some were wise. This is a hard truth that Jesus preaches about in Scripture often, a hard truth that we have to come to today. The truth is this, that just because you are in the church, just because anyone is called a virgin, just because anyone has come to faith at some point in their life and been brought in to the church to be called a virgin, to be called one of the bride of Christ, does not mean that they will automatically go to heaven. It does not mean that they are automatically, as Jesus here distinguishes, wise as opposed to foolish. Jesus teaches over and over again that there is, unfortunately, in the church, wheat, tares among the wheat. There are weeds among the wheat. That there are goats among the sheep, that there are hypocrites in the church. There are those who appear outwardly to be virgins, and yet at the last day, we find out they were not truly what they looked to be. There were wise and there were foolish. There were slaves to God and there were slaves still enslaved to sin. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. What distinguishes the wise and the foolish? This is the crux of the matter. It comes down to one of the final aspects that we have to say. What is this referring to in this parable? The oil. The foolish did not take the oil with them. What is the oil? Well, the oil, of course, is that which feeds the flame of faith. The oil is that which feeds the lamp. The oil is what makes the lamp burn. And so remember what Paul said, that when you have come to faith, you are now a slave to God. There is no middle ground. Faith is not just some stagnant reality that you can just kind of have the lamp and set it there on a shelf and then look at it and it's nice, but then it doesn't do anything. If the lamp's not burning with the light of Christ, if there's no oil in the lamp, and if the lamp goes out, there is no middle ground, you fall back into slavery of sin. The faith must be fed, the oil must be put into the lamp, and then the lamp must burn, and that flame must go out into the world so that others can receive and can see the good works and glorify Christ. And that's an ongoing reality. 
The lamp doesn't just get taken off the shelf on Sunday morning, but the lamp is always with you. It is in your hearts, and it should be burning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 24-7, 365. Definitely not just Christmas Eve and Easter and Mother's Day, but much more often, in fact, always more often than that. And so you can think about ways to put oil in this lamp. While it's not only about Sunday morning, it does start with Sunday morning. The main place to get the oil is Sunday morning. Hearing his word, receiving his supper week in, week out. And then that oil continues to drip down into your life, into your lamps, into your hearts throughout the week as you continue to receive his word, his life, his salvation in your hearts, in your devotions throughout the week. That's why in the Sunday bulletin, we put at home prayer in the Sunday bulletin. So you take the bulletin home with you and you have it not just Sunday, but then Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all the rest. And then as that oil fills your lamp, that light burns And as that light burns, you can think about some of the things we talked about earlier, that that light can burn through, that that light can shine in the darkness of this world. You can think about the darkness on the news media, the next disaster that everyone is predicting, whatever it is now. I have no idea what the current disaster is. I try not to watch too much of the news, but I'm sure there's some disaster that's coming. But your light shines past that, not being afraid of what the next disaster is. But you can, with your light, go out into your community and serve your community and make your community in your world with your neighbors a more lighted, a better, a more glorious, a more Christian place to live. You can think about how your light lights in your life. Not spending so much time scrolling through whatever social media you may scroll through, leading you to advertisements to get more stuff and to have more money, or leading you with entertainment media into sins or lusts of various kinds, but how your light shines through those things. It burns through those things. And how your light can be used not to go down into those places of darkness where you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and your mind gets into darker and darker places and your heart gets into darker and darker places, but your light can be used to go out into the real world and spend time with others, building relationships with others, Stewarding the gifts that God has already given you to serve his church and to serve your neighbors. And you can also think about receiving more and more of that light from fellow Christians. From not dwelling on the atheistic and humanistic teachings of our world, whether that be in schools or through other places of teaching, but how you can Seek out with your light others who have light, listening to more Christian sermons, hearing more Christian teaching throughout your weeks and your days. 
That's the oil. Filling up your lamp and then letting your lamp burn. Filling up your cup, letting your cup overflow. That's the oil. And that's what distinguishes the wise and the foolish. The wise receive the oil and they burn their lamps. The foolish neglect to come and get the oil and they run out and their lamps go out. But notice this, the next thing that happens. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And this is one of the hardest things, I think, about the Christian life, is that the bridegroom is delayed. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? That is something that those atheists and those humanists will come at you with, is that they will tell you, haven't you given up hope yet? Haven't you realized that Jesus isn't ever going to come back? Why don't you just start living according to the world? Why do you keep thinking that your Lord is going to come back if he hasn't done so yet after all of the wars and after all of the plagues and after all of the suffering that's existed throughout history? Don't you think Jesus, if he's really good, would have already come back? And that is a struggle for Christians. It is a struggle, I think, for every Christian In all times and places, even from the earliest disciples, they wondered, why hasn't he come back yet to bring us home? Why hasn't he come back yet to bring us to our fatherland? Why hasn't he come back yet to establish Zion, his holy city, the new Jerusalem? I don't know. I can't tell you. Not even the sun knows the time when he will be sent from the Father to come for the final judgment. What I can tell you is that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are higher than ours. And his thoughts are better than ours. And the only thing that we can do to wait and to accept that coming of Jesus is to put more oil in our lamps. It is to increase our faith, to pray for an increase of faith, and to recognize that that day will come like a thief in the night. To recognize that Jesus is not a liar, that God is not a liar. He has risen from the dead. He did die for your sins on the cross and was raised again to give you a new life in him. He will come again just like he said. Just like his witness that he went up into the heavens through the clouds at the ascension, he will come back again in the same way to judge the living of the dead. It will happen, but it will happen as a surprise. It will happen like a thief in the night. And as we struggle with that on this earth, notice this, all of the virgins fell asleep. All of them became drowsy and slept, both the wise and the foolish. Both those who had stored up oil in their lamps and those who had not, they all struggled. And so when we talk about wise and foolish, when we talk about being slaves of God and being slaves of the devil, we are not distinguishing between the perfect and the imperfect. The goal of Christianity is not to be perfect somehow, like it is in Islam. 
The goal of Christianity is to have faith and to let that faith burn. But we all struggle. We all struggle with sin on this side of heaven. We all, at times, have let our lamps go out more than we should have. We all have, at times, not had quite as much oil as we should have in our lamps. We all have, at times, fallen asleep when we should have been awake. But the difference between the wise and the foolish, even amidst this struggle, is that the wise had enough stored up oil. Or better to say, I think, is that they had continually received their oil week in and week out. They had continually gone to the marketplace and gotten the oil when it was available to them. The foolish had neglected the oil while it was available to them. The foolish had come to a point where their faith was stagnant. They had come to the point where they had put the lamp on the shelf and had run out of oil, and they thought, I don't need to go to the store this week and get some more. They had become complacent. They had come to the point where they didn't think that their faith, that their lamp, actually really changed anything in their life, so they just let it kind of sit there on the shelf and collect dust. But then what happened? There was a cry. There was a Christian preacher who spoke out, a watchman on the tower, as the hymn says, who cried out, Wake, awake, for night is flying. Wake up, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. The night will soon be ending. And everyone woke up. Both the wise and the foolish, they woke up when the bridegroom was approaching fast. And they all started to relight their lamps. They all trimmed their lamps up. They trimmed up the wicks and they started to light it. But the foolish had no oil left. And the wise did not have enough time to share anymore. And so they said, go out to the marketplace. And what is that marketplace? This is the final thing we have to identify in the parable. Where is the place where you get oil? It starts again with Sunday morning. The church is the marketplace. The church is the place of the means of grace. The church is the place where the water from the font flows. The church is the place where the absolution from the pastor's mouth flows. The church is the place where the word from the pulpit flows. The church is the place where the blood from the altar flows. The church is the marketplace. And as the foolish rushed to the marketplace, the bridegroom came. And he judged. And he shut the doors. And that is a glorious thing for the wise. It is a glorious thing for the wise that they were now at the new Jerusalem. It is a glorious thing for you who have been putting oil in your lamps as you have already been doing, as Paul says, encouraging one another with the faith. For you who have been receiving this oil, for you who have received your Lord, 
week in, week out, for you who have stored up oil in your lamps, it is the most glorious and the most comforting thing for your Lord to come again. But for the foolish, it meant hell. And hell is real. That is another thing our modern American churches and our modern world does not want to talk about. It simply wants to pretend like everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they are in life, no matter how much oil they have in their lamps, no matter where their lamps are sitting on the shelf, doesn't everyone kind of go to heaven? Isn't everyone a good enough person? That's what our world wants to think. But that is not enough. The oil must be there. The lamp must be burning. And there were five who were foolish, and they were shut out. And so today I am calling for two things for you. The first I've heard put this way, I want for you all of Christ for all of your life. I don't want your lamp to be put up on a shelf. I want your lamp to be burning. I want oil to be there. I want to give you as much oil as you need. And I want it to be burning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way, every day, 24-7, 365. And I also want you to be the watchman on the tower. I want you to be, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your family, the one who cries out, wake, awake, Christ is coming, hear him now, come with me to the marketplace, let's go get some oil, because there is still time. This marketplace is open, we are not closing, we are not shutting down, Christ is coming soon, let's put oil in our lamps, amen.